0: Dad, so you've been in business since 1983. You started in Mission, Kansas, next to a fine arts movie theater. Uh, how did you know you wanted to, first of all, go into private practice, and how did you find a space to lease?
1: Well, private practice was the really the holy grail in terms of uh, being in school and studying practice management. So I was working in a pediatric ophthalmologist office. I was not being really appreciated there for all the things that I did. So I thought I better reach out and be my own boss.
0: You're ready to be your own boss. How did you go on the real estate hunt? Did you just drive by and see a sign or did you connect with an agent?
1: I drove by and looked for uh, a reasonable place where it where there was a vacancy it, it was just that simple
0: you know what else is that simple vision insurance I, I'm just kidding vision insurance is the most confusing goddamn thing in the world and there's a company called practice Pal who is simplifying in-network vision plans search nearly all vision plans in 30 seconds on one website it also includes a copay calculator. Imagine pricing patients out but using like an Amazon cart shopping style that's linked to your exact in-office pricing. Uh, it's in the show notes. Check it out. Also, patient forms are just a, a total headache. Your, your practice is getting behind. Patients are late and you, the whole schedule is behind and you're like, ah, this is, totally sucks. Uh, OptiExpress is now uh, integrating forms right directly into your EHR into the exact fields for a super fair monthly rate, this is different than Weave and Solution Reach and all the other ones. Uh, it's 100% custom to you. Uh, both of these companies are in the show notes, and I highly vouch for them.
1: The original office space w- was about a 20-foot by 60-foot space, so about 12, 12 to 1,400 square feet.
0: All right. And it had a basement. And,
1: and it had a basement.
0: I remember the basement. Yeah, it was, uh, and you had a lab down there.
1: I had the lab down there and a lounge.
0: Right. How did you get your first patients? I know you did ValPak, right? Well,
1: um, I started from scratch, but I also was working at uh, another job called Kansas City Healthcare. I was developing their optometrist role. It's hard to say. Uh, And they were a new... HMO, staff model HMO, and they needed somebody uh, and I was there and I worked there maybe uh, starting two half days a month and ended up working there uh, like every Friday. So I hung out my shingle and just prayed that people would notice me. I wasn't that smart because right across the street was an optical and people would look out the window with their new glasses and say, Superior Optical Company. Oh, I could see that. Why didn't I go there? And then down the street was a, another optical, like a block down the street. And another block over was ophthalmologist uh, and an optician-to-fit contacts. And then another two optometrists, another block away. So it helps to be naive and not know that I may not have gotten everything right in terms of the location.
0: Okay. And the, the Mission Mall was uh, just down the street. Did that exist in... The 1983? Yes, it was
1: more, it wasn't an internal mall. It was an outside mall, kind of a kind of modified strip center mall, but uh, it had problems in that it was always flooding. So they eventually tore that down and built another mall.
0: Years go by, you find some success. We'll go into that in another podcast. How did you know it was time to expand uh, outside of 1200 square feet and kind of go into the next space over?
1: Well, we moved into uh, the next space. We remodeled while we were working there, which I would not recommend. And so we developed three three thousand square feet, four exam rooms, a uh, very nice optical, and uh, it was it was beautiful. I spent about four hundred thousand dollars developing somebody else's space from a from a uh, from a really old, maybe nineteen forty eight looking space to. Uh, A 1990 space.
0: All right. And just some from some stories I remember, was the landlord good, bad, mediocre?
1: No, the landlord was terrible. So they were very hateful. But what I did in terms of my lease, because I knew I was vulnerable, what I did at that point was I negotiated a 15-year lease with projected uh, increases in the lease. So I had options for 15 years.
0: I see, and why was that advantageous to have that long-term horizon?
1: Well, if I was gonna gonna generate uh, or or spend $400,000 to fix the space up, I wanna make sure I had it for a longer period of time. And I didn't want any surprises so that I'd have to leave.
0: I see, did you take a loan out for that or how did you come up with that money?
1: Well, Perry, we were profitable right from the start. I remember four years into, uh, into starting, about 1987, I attended uh, a meeting in Miami and it was like Optifair at that time as a predecessor of Vision Expo. Now I remember, uh, this might be a little off the beaten track, but I remember attending a lecture from, uh, uh, from Richard Katoof, who at that time was a very dapper uh, lecturer and he probably still is. And, I, and what I did is I remembered all those points. Uh, I listened and I implemented. And I remember asking a question at the end, I said, you know, I started from scratch in 1983 and I'm only at $400,000, uh, I'd say gross, because at that time really insurance wasn't around, gross. And I wanna know what can I do to expand further? Uh, at the conclusion of that seminar, I had people lining up to ask me questions so uh, i didn't realize that i was doing that well but i was all self self-funded
0: how did you become profitable from day one were you selling premium goods at that time i know the the most expensive frame was probably like 30 bucks but where did the profit come from
1: Your average frame in uh, 1983 was was cost 17 dollars uh, a very expensive frame would have been 65 dollars uh, i had one little sports kit and which was like 120 dollars but it had so much dust on it, uh, that the guy that bought it to buy it, decided that it, you know, it's been there a long time since we didn't dust it. I learned that lesson. And so over time, frames developed nicer. I mean, the best frames at that time were like Tura. And you had a lot of frames were like OptiColors and Ditas and these frames got, gradually got more and more expensive. So as they, but they also got more fashionable.
0: All right, let's fast forward a bit. There comes a time where you are thinking about uh, developing a building, breaking ground, and I think you spotted a abandoned Volvo dealership just a few blocks away.
1: Yeah, so I, I decided uh, it's time. We, we ran out of parking spaces on a Main Street location. I didn't have enough spaces for uh for my other doctors
0: and, and the it, parking, the parking was on the a, a main street. So when patients would back out, they'd be backing out into traffic, especially for elderly. It wasn't a very good situation. I think.
1: No, they were backing out into traffic, but that's how it had been since the 1940s. But when start, people started having vans and big trucks, it, it became a little more dangerous. So, so we didn't have enough room. We didn't have enough room for the staff. Didn't have a for the patients. I had a couple other associates at that time. Um, and I'm not sure now why I had them, but we weren't as efficient back then.
0: You have to right? remember when I
1: graduated that a busy office was eight patients a day.
0: And how many patients do you think you were seeing maybe in mid-90s? In the mid-90s, uh, probably 12. So it's 30% more already. Okay, so yeah. You have some crazy dream, or how did you come up with the idea that you want to build, you know, the twenty thousand square foot building and be really a landlord?
1: Well, I had a gentleman went a breakfast club with me, and he was a real estate, commercial real estate agent, and he would help me develop it for six percent commission on it. So I got talked to him, and we, you know, found out that there was a lot, really about two blocks away. And it was originally a uh, Volvo dealership, but at that time, Volvos were, had a, some deceptive ads and he went out of business right, pretty quick. Um, so the back end of it was a parking lot. And so I found the land and
0: purchased it in 2001. All right, well, tell, to walk us through how you met with the bank and how they qualified you to make sure you could actually pay for this. Because when you were building this building, you didn't have tenants, you know, signed up, ready to go. You had to come up with the money. So how did you do that?
1: So I was optimistic. And it helps to be optimistic and naive in business. Uh, I'd recommend being probably doing more homework on it. But what I did is I prepared, <clears throat> I prepared a packet with all my projections uh, essentially, a business plan with all the projections and how much money that I needed to borrow because I knew how much it was going to be. And I actually, I actually delivered that to 20 different banks.
0: And what did the process look like to eliminate down to which bank was actually going to loan you this money?
1: Okay, so I needed, uh, I won't say exactly how much, but it was in the low millions. Okay, so I needed that much money. Some banks, it turns out, have a cap. They can only, they can only uh, lend so much. So that eliminated them. And other banks um, had different philosophies of lending. So I, I, found, I found a bank that was just exactly the right fit for me and they were gonna lend me uh, pr- pretty much all the money. You know? uh, so I had to put some down. I can't remember exactly how much because it's been a few years now. And um, so really I had bankers that believed in my concept and they love having an owner occupied building because if something goes wrong, they got the building. It's pretty easy.
0: All right. So didn't you have some fears though? So you, obviously you, you're, you're qualified for the money, but you knew you had, you're going to have this very large principal to pay off plus interest. And you are essentially taking your, optometry practice and using that money to, to fund another business. Did that scare you at all?
1: Yeah, I'm sure I was, I'm sure I was scared, but, but I was going to build it and they'll come. So I had a I had a developer, a real estate agent. Of course he, you know, there's snafus along the way. He had a conflict with another contractor. I found out about it. Anyway, there's never anything that really works easily and perfectly smooth. Uh, so we found another contractor. Anyway, there nothing is really straightforward there, and we proceeded. I got it. I knew an architect um, who helped me on other on the other properties. So, uh, and he was a very good architect. So we went through many designs, and actually before him, I had a different architect who designed a beautiful building uh, and a beautiful space, and it would look like an eyeball if you look like the the way the hallways were from up above, but it had had no, no flow whatsoever. So um, I won't mention who helped me design it, but it was a prominent designer uh, in terms of my practice. The building was designed by architect uh, and then the practice flow was designed by one of the current um, uh, companies that is big in design. So, yeah, he had to borrow. He had to borrow a lot of money. But once you borrow that much money, it's like monopoly money. And then I, I made arrangements that I would just be paying interest only and not principal.
0: Elaborate on that further. What that means and well, why you, was that beneficial you to you? Loan,
1: when when you take a loan, uh, so when you take a loan out, they they're going to get interest. Uh, they're going to be paid interest uh, and principal. But I negotiated that I would just pay the interest over time and uh, at some point pay back the, the principal. So it's a, it was an interest only loan and I had pretty good rate. So and did you have I to start, did... the bank had faith in me that I knew what I was doing. And I also had, a, you know, I had already had assets myself. So you you have to have assets and they can attach those assets at any time.
0: When did you have to start actually paying the interest? Is it right when construction started and they broke ground, or did it start a year later? What was the time frame? I
1: believe it was after after we occupied the building. Uh, so I would have, you know I would take draws from the bank, and a draw means that I would submit. Okay, we're putting in the drywall. You know they need thirty thousand dollars for it. Okay, so you get a draw from the bank. So every step of the way, the bank knew what we were doing. And they were, in, they were in, involved in it in terms of not just saying, here's, here's a bunch of money.
0: Okay. And what was the length of the loan? What was that period? 30 years, 40 years?
1: Um, I think it was a, maybe a 20-year loan.
0: Okay. And was there prepayment penalties or could you pay it off at any time?
1: No, I didn't have any prepayment penalties. And that was one of the things that you have to negotiate in there. You also have to know how the interest rate is being calculated because they review that about every five years.
0: We're going to fast forward. It's a beautiful building. Um, Well, speaking of beautiful, how did you determine if you wanted to build a class A space and a class B? And can you uh, tell us what's different between those two classifications?
1: Okay. So the city I'm in was kind of a working class city which is good for optometry, Um, you know, optometrist bread and butter is usually from working class folks. And so that's the area, but I was building what they call a class A building. That means the nicest possible building that you could build. And there are certain standards that each city has. So um, I was in a class B, C area. It was safe and nice, but it was old. And I built a class A building. Now there's things that you have to do. You can't just like build a building. You have to really go to the city and you have to, you have to go to the County and there's a bunch of steps that you have to do before that. So, you, you know, you, you have to go before the planning commission and a planning commission figures, does this fit in with the master plan for building in, in the city? And then you have to actually petition the community. There has to be community input. If they, if they allow you to have that building there, you know, no one wants a, a building, Well, all they want is a park next to them, and and they don't want gas stations, and they don't want um, car washes or bars, you know, they, so the next really best thing was a, a building, so you have to kind of go through the, go through all the rigors of getting everything approved through the city, and then through the county, and things, things that are done through the county are things like wastewater, and, in and the engineering of the building, and, how, uh, how it's gonna actually be built.
0: And there was a lot of stupid rules. I mean, just look at your parking now, you have way too many parking spaces and the building is fully occupied, but still there's just too much parking.
1: Well, they have a ratio, which was um, four and a half spaces for every thousand square feet. So constantly I have about 90 parking spaces and those, and those standards change over, over time. But there are building standards, so you have to adhere to all of that. So you need an engineer, you need an architect, you need a good contractor. And I, I was in the meeting in the, uh, you know, they have those little mobile homes in there every week. And so some people think like, well, why would you, why would you do that? Because I want to be intimately involved in what's going on and all the decisions. So there's decisions about material. There's decisions about the layout. The the um, you know, how, how the parking lot's gonna be laid out, all those things. So you, you have to really coordinate. So it took really a couple of years to build the building because you have to go through the city and then you have to have inspections and the inspections have to be in a certain timely manner. So everything is, is pretty scientific. Even the concrete pad, we don't have a basement, the concrete pad, that had to be, the, the earth had to all be a uh, proper uh, consistency of the earth. It needed to have extra lime. So, those are all engineering things that you never even think about. And even when the concrete is built, um, if they test it a month later and it's not really as strong as it needs to be, you start all over. They tear down whatever buildings you start all over. So, you have to do it in a really scientific manner. And uh, okay, so
0: we're going to, let's fast forward a bit. Uh, The building. Is erected. Um, you move in, you obviously had to buy a ton of furniture and all that stuff because you've just massively expanded your space. Now you're at what almost 7,000 square feet, yeah,
1: 7,000 square feet. Yeah,
0: okay, so you're a tenant in your own building, super exciting. Now you got to go fishing because you got about three fourths of the building that uh also needs to be occupied. What did that process look like? I believe your first tenant. Uh, off the bat was Edward Jones, and there's still a tenant. So well, it
1: like- what it looked look like is I thought within three months, I should be fully leased. Okay, so, um, so I had a whole upper floor, and I had a quarter of the b- bottom floor. So it just so happened we're in Kansas City where Sprint is headquartered. Well, at that point, Sprint fired 30,000 people in this city, And that's a lot of people. And when they fire people, they vacate properties.
0: Let's get a time from here. This is 2003 when the building was complete, right? Right. Okay. So Sprint fired uh, a bunch of people with layoffs, and now there's uh, a bunch of abandoned space. Yeah.
1: So now I have a brand new building that is really a what we call a warm shell. Meaning there's no suites built out or anything. It's a warm shell and it's going to cost money to, to build it out. How, but I'm competing with other commercial properties where there's walls and carpet and doors, and maybe they just going to, someone's going to move in and just clean the carpet or paint. So it's very hard to compete on that, on that level. And that I did not plan. Uh, I did not plan that, you know, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have uh, tenants right away. And I should say that in 20 in, in 2001, we had uh, 9-11. I didn't anticipate that right after I bought the land that 9-11 would happen. And that changed a lot of things too.
0: Well, I think an- another factor that really played into leasing your new office building was your premium space. And there was plenty of other office buildings, um, you know, less than a half mile away. But those buildings were what class B and C buildings and their square footage looked really cheap. But when you went, when you walk inside, what does it look like? It looks cheap. And so you were competing against this whole other bracket.
1: Right. So I had not taken that into consideration. I thought build it and they'll come, you know, if people want a ni- really nice space. And if they want a nice space, I've got the, I've got the only building that looks like that. So my whole idea was that uh, the rest of the tenants would pay for my rent and that we would be profitable right from the start. So there are risks, a tenant with everything that you do. I mean, otherwise everybody would build a building. Why not just go ahead and build a building, borrow a few million, build a building? Well, there are risks. So I made sure that even though I didn't have any tenants, I would still be able to pay for the
0: building. And to pay for the building, you are taking your Brill ICenter money and using that to cover, you know, the interest and in principal, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, let, let's talk about your two different entities. So you have Brill Eye Center, which is the practice, and then you have Brill Investors, which is the, your building entity. Um, right. Are you able to talk about you know, why you separate those?
1: Right. You know, because um, there really are two different purposes. One is real estate and investment, and the other one's the practice. I know that some people who practice in their house, you know, consider their house in the practice at one. And then if they ever sell it, they'll have to sell their house with their practice. But that's not the way I was instructed to do it. better to have two entities separate out the expenses.
0: All right. So let's fast forward. Uh, You get Edward Jones that comes in. What year was that roughly? Um, That was about 2005. 2005 and part of it's only 1500 square feet pretty small right and, and part of uh having a, a warm shell build out is you actually have to uh provide i think what's called tenant improvements and right. basically give them money and free rent and a bunch of other um well, free some stuff
1: cost, there's some cost for the tenant improvements and you you know you have a lease And the current lease, the Kansas city lease is about a 28 page lease, but it covers all, all of the contingencies. You know, if they leave, if they mess up the space, all that, but you roll, we we tended to roll the construction costs into their rent.
0: All right. Moving on. Uh, you've had a slew of other tenants. You've had other real estate agents rent from you insurance agents in the building. And, um, And then one of your biggest tenants was a weight loss surgeon doing bariatric surgery. And this guy was busier than can be. I mean, wow. Can you talk about that?
1: Yes. I was very proud to get a weight loss surgeon. Uh, He was uh, not a real personal guy. You know, he he had other people handle his business matters. He was highly
0: regarded. He was actually a Navy SEAL. I mean, this guy was the real deal. I
1: don't know if he was a SEAL, but he was in the Navy. So he was a Navy doc. And I thought, well, you could definitely trust him. He was a surgeon and he did lap, he did lap band at that time. And lap band surgery was able to get people to lose from 500 pounds, you know, down to maybe a couple hundred pounds. And we would definitely tell who the people, who his, who who his patients were versus mine, because we'd see him walk walk in, but it was actually good for the practice because a lot of those patients were diabetic. And so he had. He'd already, he already was in his like tenth year, and then something happened. He stopped paying rent. He think like, um, "Why did he stop paying rent?" Well, I didn't know it, but he he joined a motorcycle gang, the Galloping Goose Motorcycle Gang, and he became we, a mechanic. We can't,
0: we can't make this up. I mean, we would see the gang members with their leather vest and motorcycles uh, after hours roll up to the office building. I mean, <laughs> this is real.
1: Yeah, but who would. Who would expect his wife crying on my, on my doorstep uh, that he's beat her And he became, it turns out he became a meth addict and he joined a motorcycle gang and, you know, motorcycle gangs, um, uh, they are part of organized crime and every, for every crime they commit, they each get it. They get a tattoo, a new tattoo. So I couldn't believe it. So I, I looked all this up and apparently there's five major motorcycle gangs in Kansas city who's. Main goal is to not like the Hells Angels. Who knew? So, uh, so now um, he he stopped paying rent. I was as gracious as I could, but eventually I have to give him an eviction notice. And you would think that if somebody once they get an eviction notice, they would say, "Look at, I've got to sell." Uh, He had seven motorcycles. Uh, maybe I could sell like a couple of motorcycles and just live with five motorcycles.
0: These are like yeah. major motorcycles. Um, they were all, all over yeah, one
1: $100,000. One was like on the motorcycle magazine, like a $200,000 motorcycle. But you think at some point when you get this fluorescent green sticker on your front door that you're going to be evicted on a certain date, you'd, you'd have, uh, you'd come to reality and say, I need to pay my rent. And you could you could stiff all your vendors but you got to pay your rent turns out he owed the IRS eight hundred thousand dollars so he, he only owed me two hundred thousand so I never I never got paid and we eventually he evicted him and he left a bunch of things in there um, including all his tax records but he did take a couple of chandeliers with him on the way out which is very interesting We think and the dishwasher early.
0: don't forget about the dishwasher
1: yeah and a professional dishwasher so um, in any case you learn lessons there you think you've got the most the probably the best possible tenant but there's risk there too so and the risk is you're just not going to be paid
0: tenant leaves and now you're like okay well you know let me just put this up for rent again but finding a, a tenant was not easy and even uh, how much space was that space like six thousand square feet or almost
1: yeah about six or seven
0: Okay, so that went uh, vacant for probably three years, right? Yep. And then uh, we got we got lucky again, and we had another company come in. And as we speak, they're leaving.
1: They're leaving on November thirtieth. They decided to buy have- a, 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 a their own building. They're vacating two other buildings and building their own building. But but I'm optimistic about it, you know, because. At some point, we will find somebody to fill that space.
0: Right. So you have your you have your ups and downs definitely. Now let's talk about building maintenance and management. Uh, part of owning a building means you're gonna fix the concrete, and you're gonna repair the HVAC. And we uh, you've been doomed with HVAC issues just due to um, it appears engineers who. Put that uh, unit on the top of the building really underpowered it, and that's resulted in just an astronomical amount of repairs.
1: Yes, a lot of repairs. A lot of. Eventually, we had to kind of just almost redesign it, and it was a car- it was a new carrier system, computer controlled, very nice. And when I, say, I think fifty ton, this, right? We're, when we're putting this uh, on the rooftop, it's the best newest one. You're not going to say, "Well, yeah, I know, I want an old one." So you do that with the best advice, um, and but you just can't change your rooftop, and you and you have to deal with these um, HVACs because that is what's on the building. So, in any case, a lot of trouble, and we have some days in Kansas City where they're over a hundred degrees. Well, it turns out you find out these systems are really rated for like ninety-five degrees, and there are many years that would never go even in the nineties, but All of a sudden you have a year where, you know, you're 108, 110 and be 116 degrees at the window. Well, I mean, the systems tend to fail at that point, even with the best maintenance.
0: Right. So other issues I know that you've experienced in being a landlord is we've had sewage smells in the building. And for the life of us, we don't know where these sewage smells come from. So just like anybody, you know, we pour water in the drains and it it forms almost like a little seal and that, that wouldn't work. And we would get plumbers out there and other people. Smoke and nobody testing. Could, right. And nobody could ever figure it out. And finally, we came across one small HVAC guy. His name is Ian. This guy is just the master of uh, building maintenance. And he was able to really help us out and pinpoint what was wrong with our HVAC. And how to retrofit things and also get rid of these sewage smells. So sometimes it's not problems are not intuitive and you end up just exhausting all your resources to figure things out.
1: Well, in the meantime, you have to, you have to please your tenants.
0: So that's, for that's tenant, right. For, and I, for that please... for
1: Jones, for the Edward Jones tenant, I mean, he, he went berserk. He was uh, like blocking my doorway and uh, calling me a liar that, cause I didn't fix things. I put, I put a separate air conditioning unit in his space uh, and he promptly took it out of there. Uh, Because he was little, turns out he was a little hearing impaired. He didn't like the noise. He was banging on my window. Anyway, he was just crazy. So I decided to put another little, uh, it's a Mitsubishi unit into his space. It's a whole separate system uh, for ten thousand dollars, just to quiet him and make him make him happy, which was a colossal waste of money. But I solved that problem for you know once and for all because his space was in the southwest corner of the building. So, and he would sit at his desk with his sunglasses on and the blinds open because he, and, his, and his suit coat on instead of being common sense, close the blinds, take off your suit coat. And uh, so, you know, you have to deal with a whole variety of people and how they, uh, what their tenant needs are. And you, you want to be accommodating. And, and I tend to go overboard on being, trying to be accommodating, but sometimes things happen. You know, somebody just broke a toilet seat the other day. Or, I mean, someone dumped their whole purse on a toilet. You know, how do you, how do you ever figure that you're going to need uh, to contend with that? You just don't know.
0: Right. And there's, uh, you know, other things like elevator maintenance. You have to have a professional elevator company come out quarterly and they do an inspection because the last thing you want happening is someone's stuck on the elevator.
1: And you need a phone line for that elevator.
0: POTS line, yeah. Okay, so, but, I would, so,
1: you know, we're kind of being negative here. I would, I would say that, you know, for, for a lot of optometrists investing in their own building or a building they're going to share with another tenant or other is going to be one of the best investments because it's going to be long, it's longstanding. And at some point the building will appreciate. And when the building appreciates, they're going to get their, their money back and they're in control. So if you ever, if they ever wanted to sell their practice, they don't have to worry about uh, a landlord pulling the lease. And then really their business really is non-existent. So um, so having your own building is, is very rewarding. And it is nice from an ego standpoint, seeing your name on that building and being kind of a pillar of the, of the community. All
0: right, dad so uh fast forward many 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 years and you actually paid the building off Uh, when did you come to the decision and really who helped you decide okay you know what now's the time you know i should really just make that final payment
1: i paid my loan faithfully never was late and then so the loan comes i think it's the five-year reevaluation alone so they want me to spend another five thousand dollars doing a real estate appraisal and uh so i thought okay and then they were gonna raise the rate substantially uh, of, of the interest rate. And by that time, um, I had maybe just like a, a, a million dollars to go in terms of uh, paying off the rent and, or paying off the loan. And I decided at that, at, at that point, instead of, me, uh, instead of me paying the bank monthly and, and, and paying a lot more interest, that I would now just go ahead and pay off the building. And you get some peace of mind by doing that. And at at some point, you know, you gotta decide, look, I I could have a loan forever and all the charges and fees, but um, just decided to to pay it off.
0: All right, congratulations on that. All right, so you own the building and you're fully leased. You know, at what point do you think, uh, do you just say, you know what, I'm gonna coast this for as long as I want. I can be anywhere I want, but I, I can hire somebody to manage the building and I'll just collect rent for the rest of my life. Or, you know, have you ever came to a decision that you think, you know what, maybe I will sell the building and just, you know, be happy with that.
1: Well, I haven't really come to that decision yet because I'm still in practice, of course. And at, at some point, uh, and that point, maybe now at some point, you know, you have to test out the market and see what what the market will bear in terms of a class A building. So, so that, in that sense, uh, buildings that are, are, that are owned and uh, th- that have an owner on premises that also uh, are, are valued a little more than buildings that are just for investment purposes. So, um, so that is something that probably in the near future, I will see what the street value of the building will be then we'll have to assess uh how profitable that be i kind of like owning my own building because i could do what i want with it but at some point there's a beginning a middle and an end and it may be at this time as real estate values are at a peak it may be that now is the time to sell it but i won't know until uh i put it out there in terms of having offers on it
0: well dad what do you tell kind of the od who's maybe been leasing for 10 years and they found success in their practice, they're doing fine, they own their home. You know, Should they, should they really go out and look if they should build a building, buy a building? You know, what can that first step be? Because just paying rent for the rest of your life just does, doesn't really sound like a smart decision.
1: I think it's similar to the decision of living in an apartment versus buying your own home. You know, um, It's easier to be a tenant, that's for sure, but as long as you got a good landlord. But at at some point, you you want to have diversify your investments, and uh, it's helpful that instead of remodeling your own space, that maybe you move down the street just a little bit and you build your own building, or I so that's what we did. We built it from scratch, or you buy a building and have it modified to your needs. And at that point, now uh, from the community standpoint they know that you're there to stay and that you're not fly by night. I mean, so you have a lot more credibility when your name is on your own, own building.
0: Um, Any regrets in building a building, owning it and anything you would do different to conclude our session here? Oh boy.
1: So part of being naive when you start out with things is that you just don't know everything and you, you will make mistakes even with the best advice, there are things that you just don't know about. So uh, one of them we mentioned was the air conditioning. How would I know? But um, I think otherwise, I would have probably really done just about everything the same. And I would have made sure I had tenants booked before uh, completion of the building instead of being so optimistic that here we would have uh, tenants you know, ready as soon as the building was ready. So I would say, make sure you are pretty financially solvent so that in case you run upon hard times, or if you don't have a tenant, that you can sustain the building no matter what. When I went to, into my own private practice, I saved up enough money. I said, I'm going to save enough money um, that I can not earn an income for two years and, uh, and I'll still be in business. Uh, So unlike restaurants that have three months worth of money, I said, I'm going to have to have enough money for two years that I wouldn't have to make any money. So, uh, you know, because I spent four years in the army and I spent four and I spent one year in an ophthalmology practice. So I saved my money.
0: Right. And I think there's never going to be a good time to start a business or build a building, even for myself, uh, running entrepreneur media marketing agency. There's never enough money in the pot. There's always risk, but eventually you just have to pull the trigger because the future really is in your hands if you want to put all effort forward.
1: And I think, that, uh, I think that's a good point, Perry. You know, um, we didn't talk about how much I worked. You know, for, so for all those years, I was not uh, unaccustomed to working 80, 90 hours a week because when you start from scratch, cold, no, no, no patience the one thing you can do is work hard and long and long hours and actually be there. And, and instead of, you know, working at four different chains or anything, I thought I can compete with the chains because that about 1985 was when Lens Crafters first came out. And I thought one thing I can compete with them is, is on the hours. And we did advertise, we did packs and all that, but that was mainly to get, it was very, very little discount, like maybe $5 off an exam or something, it was very little, but it, it got the word out. I don't know if that would be the right thing today. Um, it got the word out that we took credit cards, we were open on Saturdays, and we were open initially um, eight to eight, Monday through Thursday, eight to five Friday and Saturday. So I, uh, if somebody actually wanted to be successful now, they would have to do something different. Maybe have an all night practice, you know? So um, maybe combine with uh, another uh, office, but there's all sorts of things, but you got to do it so that there's something different and better. So I was confident in my skills as an optometrist and confident that we could take care of people
0: um, and, and work hard. If you want to reach uh, Dr. Brill here, you can email him at info at and he'll receive your message. Feel free to ask him any real estate questions. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you the truth. You know, Dr. Brill here is not an expert in real estate. He's a doer and an executor, and he has smart people that has advised him, lawyers and architects and construction companies. So you don't need to know everything. You just have to uh, assemble a team that can really help you is, is what I've learned. Yeah.
1: And Perry, when I, you know, when I did my executive MBA program between 2018, I mean, between, um, 2008 and 2010, I thought a large part would be about real estate and they had nothing about real estate. And that's one of the first decisions that an entrepreneur has to do. Do I stay in my house or do I lease a space or build a space? And they had absolutely nothing about real estate in that program. Um,
0: On future episodes, we'll be covering more practice management tips, how to run practices. And we're going to be talking to uh, my dad here, Dr. Brill, just how he did it because, um, there's no easy way, to just grit and grind. So, thank you, Dad. You're welcome. Your patients review your practice and you always ask for those five stars. We're gonna ask the same. Head over to Spotify or Apple, or wherever, give us a five star, drop a comment, and show us some love, baby.